From ACAST Studios and Western Sound, this is The Score, Season 1, The Bank Robber Diaries. I'm Ben Adair, and this is Episode 8, The Victims. When did you rob your first vault? That was December. And I was pissed that I only got $10,000 with six bricks of money. But I was like, hey, I know how to do this now. Let me, you know, let me go back, you know, two months later. Let me try it again. I mean, I was, let me get six other bricks of money. <laughs> so I do the same thing. I walk in the same front door, not the back you door. You came to the same exact bank. Same freaking bank. And um, I don't why, why, why did you do that? I was telling you, I had scored here. I had gotten into the place easily. I just took the wrong amount of loot. So I'm like, I'm going to do this again. It was easy. I now know how to dance in there easier. I'm not going to be coming to the front. I can concentrate more on the money, rip open the thing, see what, see what I'm pulling out, that kind of thing, before I take the money. I feel like confident this time I'm going to get 20s and 50s and 100s. Well, long story short, because it's very short, I walk in, I walk up to a woman who's at the front of the bank, and I tell her, take me to the front. But then I look over to my right, and all the fucking staff are on me. They're looking at me, they're on the phone, they're like, what? I'm like, everyone has clocked me coming in, and I realize, oh shit, <laughs> like, I can't go one more minute in here, man. I like, they stopped me. They, 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 they cock blocked me to that, that fucking, um, that vault, man. They're like, you ain't getting that vault again. They recognized me instantly. And I thought I would just like, I actually had a feeling, a bullshit, you know, expectation that I could just blend in. I could just walk in with the rest of the people and just walk up and no, man, they were, they had the beat on me as soon as I walked in the front door. Um, and so I just, Walked right out. Did you, you know, we talk about like the bank robberies kind of sublimating your rage, but it sounds like when we talk about a lot of these bank robberies, you just came away more enraged after doing yeah. it. Yeah, I, I, there was a, a way in which I walked away from some of these banks paid and I got to use my rage, but I was, I was still not happy with the way it went. Um, and and really recognizing that I was an amateur. I thought it was like kind of a sexy bank robber because, you know, look, I had these clothes and a couple times I did some funny or, you know, I did some cool getaway things, but uh, I'm not impressed. Part one, the vault. So we just heard the second part of Joe's story about robbing a vault. Part one was at the beginning of episode five. You might remember he robbed a vault, got a bunch of these stacks of pressed bills, and ended up with $10,000. If you want, you can go back and listen to the beginning of episode five again to refresh your memory, because that was all Joe's side of the story. 
Now let's hear the other side. I am sitting at the manager's desk working on a loan file. Uh, The manager is on vacation that day. And I am approached by someone that's got a suit on under an overcoat. This man worked at that bank. I remember glasses, tinted glasses that were still adjusting from being outside. Mm -hmm. But I do remember seeing his eyes. Hmm. What do you remember about his eyes from that first eye contact? Just a blank stare. Just a stare like a no-nonsense blank stare. Hardly any expression on his face. In fact, when I saw the uh, pictures online of him recently, I said, well, this doesn't look like the guy at all. But then I zoomed in at his eyes. And I said, that's him. There's no question. Those are those same eyes. He, he then said, don't fuck around. Get me to the vault. I and mean, he said this a number of times. Stop fucking around. Don't fuck around. Get me to the vault. He liked the word fuck. That was just one of his common words. And I said, okay, but I'm telling you, I don't have keys to the vault, but okay. Did he tell you that he had a weapon or did he... Did He He just kept gesturing to this, his side, like there was a side arm in there underneath. Mm-hmm. Were you were you scared at this point? Were you nervous? How, how did you feel? I know I, at this point, I'm thinking I'm trying to see if I can get someone's attention uh, and not be obvious to where he responds. And, and I'm also thinking, how can I just turn around and take this guy? So we get to the door, and I open the door. And I again, I say, there's the vault. But I, I don't have access to that. Well, I turn the corner, I see the vault door is open. Because our Brinks truck had just delivered. And the two, the teller and one of the operations officers were in the vault area unloading the, uh, the shipment from Brinks into the double-locked cabinets and to the boxes, the secured boxes. And that surprised him that they were in there as much as it surprised me when I saw the door open. And I could tell he became immediately agitated and ordered me on the ground. And he made words about, uh, you know, don't move a muscle or, you know, or something and was over top of me uh, while the bank teller and the operations officer were completely shocked. And you, know, you can imagine they're scared to death because here's this guy that probably, and I don't know if he, he brandished the weapon at that point or whether, because I can't see anything, I'm on the floor. And so they, they gasped. They, I could tell the shock in their face. He then uh, tells them, get one of those bags and start filling it up. So they take one of the large canvas bags and start putting in what they're currently loading into the, uh, the cabinets, the double-lock cabinets. How are you feeling at this point? Oh, I'm, I'm mad. I, I'm thinking all I have to do is stand up quickly knock this guy into the cabinets behind him and and get whatever gun he's got away from him. Now, how unrealistic and how idiotic that might sound, that's what was going through my head. I look up and I see their faces and I see the, the, the horror in, in their eyes and, I, and there's nothing I can do to try to calm them down. I'm just laying there on the floor looking, I'm sure, completely helpless, thinking of how I can reverse that. 
But at that point, then we're attracting other attention for, for other employees of the bank at that time. And one of the other operations officers walks over towards where we are. And I think that startled him because he could hear her heels walking down on the, on the tile floor. So at that point, he jumps, grabs the bag out of the girl's hands and runs out the, the vault door and uh, leaped over the counter and out the, the bank door. So after he leaves and everybody calms down, the adrenaline wears off. How are you feeling? I was still mad. I was not put into a um, a feeling of fear or or uh, distress or 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 panic. I didn't feel any of those things that I was told that I and from the few years of training that I would feel, and I didn't. I just felt mad. Yeah, they didn't train me on how to react to feeling mad. Yeah, I b- yeah, I bet. Um, so a few months go by, and then the same guy comes back. What happens? He walks in with a different overcoat, but everybody knew it was him. Everybody all at once just knew? Everybody. What did you guys, I mean, what did you all in the bank think when you see him coming in for a second time? I mean, what are you thinking about this guy? My, my first thing was, are you serious? Do you think no one's going to know you? That's that's what was going through my head. And so I hit the alarm under my desk. There's maybe four or five of the tellers, all that were open at that time, hit their, hit their alarms. He turns around and gets out of there. If you could talk to him today, would you want to hear anything from him? Like, I'm sorry, anything like that? I don't need to hear an apology from him. I just want him to understand. I want to know that he understands that what he did, and obviously he did it in a number, many, many locations, had lasting impact on people because everyone responds differently and it has nothing to do if they see a gun or not because the assumption is going to be that whether they see it or not, this guy's going to shoot me and could kill me. And I'm sure that's what those girls thought when we, when we walked into the vault. So, yeah, it's not a victimless crime, even if you don't stick a gun in someone's face. That's, that's a message for not just him, but for anyone else out there that says, oh, bank robberies are nothing. You know, they're in and they're out. They get their money and everyone's fine. And the bank's covered. That's not, that's not the end of the story. Joe, what what do you think about hearing that from the other point of view? Wow. Well, for one, man, I dig that dude. Let me tell you something. I remember him. He was pissed, and I actually thought, like, because you know he was taller than me, and he didn't want to. But he didn't. I had to keep like menacing that dude. I I knew I wasn't going to pull a gun, and I knew I didn't. Want, I wasn't. I'm not that kind of guy. But my usual shtick of like just saying we're going to go do this, let's go do this right now, and then people saying okay and doing it. He wasn't having it. It did take me a while for him to get his feet moving. No lie. I remember that. Do you regret robbing banks? Um, I don't regret robbing the banks. My regret and my shame is what I did to the people 
I've always said that. My my real regret, my real shame is in the way I victimize women. And now as an ally of women, that is like my my dark kind of like I ha- I'm spending the rest of my life raising my daughter, being good to my wife, being an ally of women, precisely because the people I terrorized were women mostly. I mean, he was, I think, only the second guy. The only There was only two guys that I danced with during bank robbery, him and a teller. It was just all women. And so... I saw for I first when I changed my life, I would see the faces and I would be haunted by the faces of terrorized women. I don't and I'm that guy. I did it. I did it. And I regret it. Cause I don't think it was a victimless crime. It sure doesn't feel like a victimless crime to me. I'm not haunted by victimless <laughs> of ghosts. They're victims' faces. They're people. And I know when terror was pushed into me how it rippled through my life and damaged everyone around me. So I know when I pushed all my rage into them, it had to go somewhere. I don't think that I just got there and got the money. It was all cool. They went home and they fucking had, you know, vanilla ice cream. I don't think like that, right? I know what this does because it did it to me. And I went and did it to other people. Terrible. The other thing I want to say, one other thing real quick. When I got to prison, people would ask me, if you could find somebody... And um, that you would rob, would you apologize? Would you track him down and apologize? And I said, what the fuck are you talking about? I said, once upon a time, I had a bunch of shit in my head in my life. And I stood at that counter and I said, you have to take this shit <laughs> here. I feel that if I tracked him down and said, here, you need to hear this. I have all this shit in me, all this regret and shame. Here, stand right there. Take my shit. It's the same fucking thing. Hmm. They don't need me to fucking process. They What they need, if anything, and I'd be willing to do this up to a point, I would be willing to stand in front of people who I robbed and keep my mouth shut and let them fucking say anything they wanted to me. And short of fucking kicking me in the nuts, I would even take a slap in the face. But I'm not going to say anything because the next interaction I ever have with any of my victims, it's on them to tell me how they felt, what they thought, what they think about me, and I have to take it. They took it from me. It needs to be equal. That's the exchange that needs to happen. We'll be right back. Part two, the first close call. So Joe, you're robbing banks. You're getting really good at it. Do you ever think to yourself, maybe I should stop while I'm ahead? Maybe I should quit? Hell no, man. No fucking way. Now, there might have been a voice in me that said, hey, you probably should stop. You can't just go and do this forever, can you? But that voice was a teeny tiny little thing, and it wasn't going to sway me. No, I couldn't. I was um, I was angry, and I was going to keep getting angry. And now that I found this way to like express it, everything about it was like a drug to me. I love the feeling, the rush that came afterwards. I love the come down of that afterwards. I loved the ritual of celebrating it with the 
with the pasta and the drinking and remembrance of me, Chianti. I was like, it was fucking communion for me, man. It was all these things happening in my body. I got to experience my body in a powerful way. I got the drug was the terror of these people. You know, I fed off that terror. Um, nah, there's no way. I can't imagine that I would have stopped. Did it ever occur to you that maybe you'd get caught? Yeah, but you don't care about that. You see, the thing is, the two major things that make us criminal is we're impulsive and we have no feel for posterity, which means we don't stop and think, oh, let me let me gauge this. If so if I do this and this and this and that, I'll go away for 10 years. And if I do the 10 years in that time, I won't be able to start a family or I won't, I'll be away from my kids or... How is this going to impact me in the future? We have no feel for a future. Someone like me, whose mother died at 26, once I hit 26, it's no, it's no coincidence that the day I hit 26, I go on this crazy bank robbery spree and jeopardize my life. It's no accident, I'm sure. In my brain, I was like, okay, I made it to 26. That's all I have coming. Now everything's bonus. I can do whatever the fuck I want. But what do I want? I don't know. I, I just thought about getting to 26. I didn't think about anything after mm. 26. That's all I got. And they're like, okay, well, what are we doing? I don't know. I don't care. I'm going to die anyway. My mother died at 26. We're all going to die. Fuck it. So someone like me on hyperdrive, knowing that I can have this feeling every time I get mad, I can go and get money. Um, hmm. But no, man, I can't imagine stopping at all. And I certainly didn't think, oh, man, this is going to come to a bad end because I just felt like my life, I was shipwrecked before I was bored anyway. I was never going to have a good end. Hmm. So what are you going to do? So, uh, Joe, where where are we right now? We are now in Riverside. And this bank... <laughs> now it says Chamber of Commerce now it's on it. it's a Chamber of Commerce. Man, I remember this so clearly. So I walk in that door, confident, confident, confident. And I stand in line and there's three tellers and to the right is an african-american woman and she's a young african-american woman and her teller opens up so i walk over to her she's like hello sir i said how are you so everyone in the lobby can hear us i go there and then i tell her this is bank robbery give me all the money and she goes paralyzed like just looks at me like and i realize oh this is new because she starts kind of trembling and I realize, oh, she might faint. So I have to keep my eyes on her and I said, look at me, open the drawer slowly. She opens the drawer slowly. I said, give me the big bills. And I'm doing this routine with her where I'm trying to, with my eyes and my intensity, keep her focused on my rage, keep her focused on my direction, just follow my voice, follow my instructions. And she's doing that. She's sliding money to me and I'm just sliding the money in. I'm not looking at it and I'm like, oh, that's a big chunk of change. Oh, that's good money. She's giving me big money, good money. And I'm really happy with her, except I'm hoping she does not faint. I'm hoping she does not give me up. And I got this nice big fanny pack full of money. And I say, okay, turn around, walk away, don't look back. And she does. She closes the door, she turns around, and I start walking out. I start walking out that door right there. And I'm so happy. And when I turn right there, 
and I start crossing the street. I take a couple steps because I'm ready to run. And I feel this explosion. I hear a loud something. And the bag goes flying out of my hand. And I look back at my bag and I'm stunned. And I see a plume of red smoke coming out of a two-inch hole in the bag. <laughs> like, damn, the money. I thought it was, I was like, it was funny as I had said, we have a bomb. Every, my, my thing explodes like I actually had a bomb in there. It's just like, it's crazy. And there's red, I mean, a big plume of smoke coming out of there, right? So I go to reach it to grab it real quick because I can't leave it in the street. And as soon as I bend down, it's tear gas. And I, I pull back quick with what I call my cat-like reflexes. I reach down, but now my head's turned and my eyes are blinking really, really fast. I grab the money and my eyes are so bad. I'm blinking, blinking as fast as I can, like, like a photo shutter on speed. Just really trying to keep my eyes looking at things ahead of me. But I feel like any second, if I stop blinking, I'm gonna just go blind. It's that bad. The tear gas is intense, right? I need to get to my car. So I'm running to my car, blinking, blinking as fast as I can. I go to the trunk, I open the trunk, and there's a sports bag in there. And uh, I throw the bag in there and I zip it shut. So now I've taken care of the smoking bag thing, but I'm still a mess because I can barely keep my eyes open. And as soon as I get in the front seat of my car, I can see police pull up to this brick building side of it and they're holding their guns you know like walking out really slowly like they know the guys are still inside there for some reason they believe i'm still in there and they're slowly coming around the side and i here i am in my car bag still smoking up my trunk and i had the audacity to look at them like oh you bunch of idiots <laughs> like i'm not even in the bank but um Never before or after was I that close to, you know, police coming down on the scene. Now, I get home. I look at the money. I see this money and I just, my money's ruined. I feel so terrible. But what I also see is the inside of it. There's a little PC board, some diodes and resistors. The reason she needed me to pay attention is if I had looked at it, I would have seen this isn't money like a brick and it's all like glued on the side and like it's not money it's it's it wasn't that clever i was just dumb and i fell for the okie doke right so she was shrewd because what she knew was she needed to distract me she needed to pretend to be so distraught so terrible terribly ready to fall apart shit herself faint that i had to take control and and really own that by just doing a Svengali kind of uh, follow my eyes, obey me. And she played me the whole time and handed me that money and put it in there like I was King Kong. I was like, damn, man, that's a first class game. Yeah, man, I I don't know how not to like think admiringly of that woman, that young and the young woman too. It wasn't like she was, she was and the other thing too, she presented like just like common citizen. So when you think of a common citizen, you think they're dupes. And she fucking duped me. So what the fuck out of dupe and I? And I really? <laughs> that, was, that was a lesson. <laughs> oh, the, yeah, that was my takeaway. Hell yeah, are you kidding me?
We'll be right back. Part 3. I'm coming back to get you. First thing in the morning, 9 o'clock. We opened right on the dot all the time. This is another teller who didn't want us to use her name. She worked at a different bank that Joe robbed. Or I should say a bank that he tried to rob because this was one of the few times he was not successful. And this gentleman walked straight to me quickly. I was still kind of getting my stuff ready at my teller station, and he approached me. He had on a trench coat and sunglasses. He had um, dark hair, dark mustache, white straight teeth. I remember his mouth because I couldn't see his eyes. Um, when he approached, I just had a weird feeling. and Like, why are you wearing sunglasses in line in a bank? <laughs> That's kind of a dead giveaway, so... <laughs> I, I don't believe he gave me a note. I think he told me, you know, open the door um, and take me to the vault. You know, I'm going to rob you or something like that. I can't remember but exactly what he said, but I just remembered, like, oh, my God, and just pressing the button for the alarm and being kind of comatose, but letting him in like I would to anybody else. And I walked back to the vault with him, and I told him I don't have keys to anything. And he said, get somebody who does. So we walked out of the vault and to the first supervisor desk that we came across. My supervisor had her head down and she was writing. She doesn't even look up. And I said, I need the keys to the vault. She's like, what? She looks up and she sees me and she sees a horror in my face. And then she sees him standing behind me and we're behind the teller line. So she knew it was not right. So she stood up with me and we walked back to the vault. We start walking back to the vault with him. She tells me, I only have one set. And she's she's like petrified. And by this time, we're back by the door that I let him in. And it was taking a long time. All of this took quite a while. So he just turns around and he tells me, I'm coming back to get you. He whispered it to me. And he took off and she fell down to the ground crying and I was trying to comfort her. I'm like, he's gone, it's okay, it's okay. And then um, I found out that our assistant bank manager ran out after him to see which way he was running and he like opened his jacket and pulled out a gun. And so the assistant bank manager ran back in the building and locked the doors, which is what you're supposed to do so they don't run back in. And um, then we waited uh, for the police and FBI to arrive and um, to be interviewed. But he got no money. Obviously, it took too long. And then when he said what he said to you, do you remember how you were feeling then? Um, In shock. Couldn't believe it was happening, but just trying to obey his commands to let him in (laughs) to the vault. So what happened afterwards? Um, After I talked to the FBI and um, I was let go for the day, obviously, not going back to work. And it was, it took a long time. I don't think I left until like two in the afternoon. So I was there for hours. And I remember, okay, you know, I was fine. Yeah, I get the afternoon off. I kind of, you know, he's gone. And um, I did tell, I do remember telling the FBI, why did he tell me he was coming back to get me? And they said, they say that to scare you. So you forget, you forget what they look like. They forget, you forget what 
any details. What they told you, the whole incident, just tries to scare you. And I go, oh, okay. So when I left at two o'clock that afternoon, I walked out of the building by myself. Nobody walked me to my car. And that's when I started freaking out because I didn't feel safe. And I thought he was out there waiting for me. Even though they tried to assure me, I was just, I ran to my car and started crying. Yeah, because I thought he was out there. Yeah, he scared me. How long, how long did that stay with you? Probably about six to eight weeks. I couldn't drive at night or to school. My parents had to pick me up from college. Um, if I had a night class, um, I had nightmares. Uh, we lived in a two-story house, had some big windows, and I would dream or wake up that he was just, if I looked out the window, he'd be standing there on the sidewalk. Um, those types of things, yeah, for about two months. I never forgot his face. could say anything to him today, what would you say? Oh, geez. That's a loaded question, I guess. Um, I'm glad to see that he's reformed. I did I did read about him. That is, his childhood was awful. Um, very scary. Very, I mean, it's just horrific what he went through and his family, his mom. Um, it, it makes me sad. Um, that that happened. I have a lot of compassion for people. I'm very Catholic. <laughs> um, so, and, and forgiveness is huge with me. So it's great to hear that people can be reformed and um, change their lives. So if I could say anything to him, I would say congratulations on that. Good luck. Life is better when it's, when you're living it right. Not bad. If you, if you could have him say anything to you, what would you like him to say to you? I, I don't, I don't, I, maybe just that it wasn't personal, had nothing to do with me, and he's not going to come back to get me. <laughs> you know, I don't, I, I believe if he was, he would have already, so yeah, it's fine. Joe, what do you think about listening to that? It's hard. It's hard to listen to that, man. It's hard to listen to that, man. I feel. I feel terrible. Hmm. I feel terrible, man. Yeah, we know who I was then was who I was then. I had all that congested rage, and I didn't give a fuck about myself, anybody. And, you know, it was just saying, I know it wasn't a victimless crime. That's really, and then I, and I know, you know, in the abstract that it went and hurt people, and they took them with them, and she just verified that. And um, to hear it in, in, you know, that concrete way, I struggle sometimes. I'm very confident. I'm very bold. I got a lot of bravado. I got a lot of, you know, um, confidence. But where I feel the weakest is in my regret and shame for the way I treated women. You know? 
So there's a thing when I got out of prison, I hated guys who were fucking weak and manipulative and trying to prey on women. And I hated them because I felt like you sons of bitches are reminding me of me. And I do not like that you're reminding me that I was like that. Fucking I don't. I mean, if I get upset in the world now, it's a that. And I realize it. I get mad at men who remind me that I was that. Because it's so fucking shameful. Do you ever do you ever get away from the shame? Does it ever go away? No, I mean, I know. It's always a low, it's like tinnitus. It's always there and sometimes it's really low and sometimes it's really high. And that's my struggle. That's the thing that... When I got out, it was super heavy. When I first started changing my life, they had all dialed up really loud, and it felt like it was, I was going to be deaf. Like, you fucking, look at all the shit you did. And I was like, ah, oh, wait, wait, block off my conscience again. When I didn't have a conscience, when I had it all blocked off from me, I didn't have to experience all this. I didn't wasn't experienced. Then when I opened myself, okay, now I want to be a good person. I was like, okay, well, here's all the shit you did. It all just came, fell on me. And in the beginning, it was really hard. I wanted to kill myself a lot. I didn't think I could change. I didn't th- and I thought, I can't change. All I'm going to do is just sit here with all this shame. I was like, ah. So I've had to, you know, had to work on it over the years. But man, this just comes roaring back when I hear this. I feel so fucking low. Mm. And I feel bad for her. You know, obviously I wouldn't do anything to hurt her. I just, she's such a resilient person. Look at that love. She has such compassion. It's beautiful. I mean, you know, now... Nah. She's like the people who are my friends. You know, frankly, they they they, they know me now. They don't know that guy. And I told I tell people you got to be rageful and shitty. It's not victimless. You right. got to hurt people to get that money. Because if you notice this thing, you know, in order to, I had to scare them. And <clears throat> I was such a petty little man. <sighs> such a petty little fucking man. A boy, actually. Ah. Uh, I mean, I was crying listening. It just broke my heart to remember that that was the guy who who inflicted that mm-hmm. um, on her. Just, I just, I think what's hard about it too. I know my mother would have loved me through it all, but I fucking shame. I shame the memory of my mother. By doing that to these good women, you know, that's just, and men, but, you know, some mostly women. I think that, I think that that is, uh, that's one of the hard things about it, too, you know? <laughs> the fuck, man, this is terrible.
This is episode 8 of The Bank Robber Diaries, The Victims. It's season 1 of The Score, from ACAST Studios and Western Sound. Executive producers are me, Ben Adair, Joe Loya, Veronica Taylor, and Susie Warhurst. Producers are Cameron Kell, Haley Fox, and Stephanie Aguilar. Original composition and sound design is by Dan Leone. Production assistance from Annette Runhell. Mixing by John Evans Evans and Eric Romani. Next up is episode nine, Too Too Many. Stay tuned. <laughs> 